Ed Couchman is a media professional. He's had roles at Channel 4, Associated Northcliffe Digital. He spent about six years at Facebook. Um, but he's emerged in a really interesting role. He is now the General Manager UK for Snap Inc. And Snap Inc., they call themselves a spectacles business, but they own Snapchat. And Snapchat's been on an incredible journey. I think about two years ago, it seemed to be really, really fashionable to say that Snapchat was dying. And as my conversation with Ed shows, it isn't. It's behaving in a different way to all the other social media platforms. Not that Ed would want me to include Snapchat in that bunch. Um, It's behaving in a different way. It's acting in a different way. And you kind of sense that its users are getting something slightly different from it. So, as ever, we split our conversation into three different sections. A bit about Ed, his background, how he got to the job he's in now. A little bit about his role at Snapchat and some of the work that Snap are doing. And then finally, we asked Ed Couchman, General Manager of the UK at Snap Inc., for his rocket fuel. So first thing to say, Ed, is thank you so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure, James. Thrilled to be here. Good. So, Ed, let's start with you. Tell us what's your journey and how have you got to being general manager in the UK of Snap? Well, I all began for me back in the summer of 97. I'm sure you remember it well. Um, Tony Blair just got to power. <laughs> Things can only get better. And it was called Britannia. And so I decided to go and work for the glamorous uh, business to business magazine, Community Care. That does sound glamorous. It wasn't quite called Britannia for me, <laughs> but it was absolutely a bridge between uh, what I studied at university and the kind of more cut and thrust world of the kind of commercial world, which I wanted to get into. And it was published by... Um, a publisher called Read Business Information. Yep. They had a whole stable of titles, everything from Computer Weekly, Farmers Weekly, Farmers World. Wow. So, yes, it was a pretty glamorous world. Okay. Yeah. And and then where? Because you were at Facebook for a while. Yep. You were at Mail Online. Yep. Um, do you know what? I'll tell you a little story about how I got into the digital advertising world. Yeah. So I think hopefully that would be quite interesting to your listeners. And I was working at a time for a publisher called Future Publisher, Future Publishing, sorry. Uh, they have some titles like the official PlayStation. And I work for a magazine. And if you remember, you used to have to have a magazine about how to uh, navigate the complex World Wide Web. You know, going step-by-step tutorials, unplug phone, wow. plug in your modem. Yeah. That opened my eyes to the digital world. And that really excited me. So I joined uh, a company called Add to One. They are a third-party sales representation. So they kind of sell online infantry to other, uh, on behalf of other websites. But what that did, this was early 2000, height of the dot-com. Well, I guess it's the original boom that was soon to become crash. But that really helped me learn the kind of nuts and bolts of online advertising right at the very early stages. Okay. And what from that experience then became valuable as it took you through your journey through to the... Through to the mail, uh, through to Facebook. Uh, the first big lesson actually was to make sure you have internet connection because <laughs> we're such a young company. Uh, we had to used to go down to the EasyNet uh, cafe on Tottenham Court Road to go and actually look at the websites that we're selling on behalf. So that's a, a fundamental. Wow. Um, but I, <laughs> so it was pretty basic. But I think some of the things we learned was around a monetization strategy, uh, thinking around where banners can appear on the page so people most likely to click and engage them. And so some of those real underlying factors 
foundations of the business ascension. I think that's something that I've definitely kind of took forward with me as I went to um, Associated New Media for uh, their uh, whole bunch of websites there. This is money. This is travel. The launch of the Metro and the Daily Mail. And then on to Channel 4. Uh, Channel 4, I was part of the team that uh, monetized, um, well, it was, it was actually then called 4OD, now yeah. called All4, but Channel 4 were the first broadcaster in the UK to launch a video-on-demand offering. Okay. And let's come back just to some of the things that, are, if you like, are in your business makeup. How are you as a manager and how do you like to be managed? Oh, you know, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, around leadership philosophies. And I have spent some time thinking about what is my philosophy. And I'm definitely a firm kind of leader, coach, mentor sort of person. I definitely want to get the best out of the people. Uh, and I spend a lot of time thinking about how I can motivate and lead people. Uh, I'm certainly someone who likes to do something to kind of uh, from the front, if that makes sense. I like to do it first and, and kind of lead by example. And I think it's really important for me to grow those people that um, are reporting to me essentially but you know what are their strengths and weaknesses and I certainly try and, and have this philosophy around playing to their strengths so and then it's my job as a manager to assemble a team whose all strengths complement each other to the kind of make the sum total bigger than those individual parts okay have you ever sought a mentor Ed or do you mentor anybody yourself um, I'm involved in quite a few mentoring schemes, actually. Okay. One of my passions is around uh, helping support uh, kids from either non-traditional academic backgrounds or from a more comprehensive uh, education background. Uh, and so I go back into some schools and do uh, programs called Speakers for Schools. So you can go back and speak at those schools. That's Robert Peston's charity, right? Yes. Yeah, that's I exactly know it right. well. It's brilliant. And there's another charity I'm involved in called Circle. Okay. That also does the kind of speaking for schools, but crucially for me, it does a follow-up. So then you kind of stay in touch with some of those kids over a longer period of time. At SNAP as well, we work really closely with someone called Making the Leap. Okay. And again, a very similar principle, uh, partnering with the Harris Academies. They get involved heavily with business. But again, bringing people into the school, sharing some skills and experiences, and just kind of honing some of their uh, maybe interview uh, techniques, how to write a CV, and I get a lot of value out of that as well. So giving back seems to be really important to you individually and also giving back, I know from having read bits about you, giving back to the advertising world as well. That's something mm. that's quite important to you. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, it is. And I think I feel that I've been very fortunate and it feels the right thing to do then to give back to the things and people that have supported you. So I went to comprehensive school. It's one of my best ever experiences and certainly helped me fulfill my potential. So I think I should give back to comprehensives. And the advertising industry has also been very kind to me. So I work with uh, a few bodies. One's uh, NABs, and they are a great charity for our industry, especially when you feel that stress and anxiety is only increasing with those people that work in advertising. So think about how we can support those people is really important. And a similar charity, it's called Media Trust. Yeah. And that's all about uh, transfer of skills, helping give smaller charities a voice by transferring some of the skills that we have now, say audio skills in the podcast or video editing skills, but essentially equipping smaller charities to tell their story. Okay. And in terms of your professional development, I mean, actually, let's ask a, a, a fairly straight question. How agonizing was the decision to leave Facebook for Snapchat? I mean, was that a tough decision? It's always tough to leave the bit behind people that you're very fond with, isn't it? Yeah. And some of my most informative 
professional um, moments were during my Facebook years. Some of my career highs were also during my Facebook years. And to kind of leave all that behind is always a hard decision. But I, what I saw was this this really big opportunity at Snap, an opportunity for me to kind of broaden my leadership, essentially, and become a, a general manager, mm. uh, help be the face of the business of Snap. And that was important to me. Uh, I was to be reunited with uh, my current boss, Claire Velotti. We worked together at uh, Facebook for a couple of years. Okay. And it was one of my best, if not the best, working relationships I ever had. And that was a real draw for me back to work with her, partner with her, and then think about how we can grow the business in the UK. So you've spoken about your, your management style as cultivating a mix of different personalities and different skill sets in order to, to achieve a common goal. Is there any commonality in the qualities that you look for in colleagues? What is that? Is there a mandatory thing that they almost have that they must do? Um, do you know what? I, I've recently been on some training around interview, and we all have these unconscious bias, don't we? But we don't know about. So I'm actually trying to balance for that. One thing I would say is Snap has three uh, core cultural behaviours, essentially values around being kind, being smart, and being creative. And we certainly try and seek out candidates who really can have kind of. De- um, clearly demonstrate those through an interview process. Okay. Final question in this section about you. Um, how are you at switching off? Are you any good at it? Um, I'm getting better, okay. actually. Uh, it's interesting, though, when we talk about work-life balance on-off, it feels quite binary. What I try to do is have much more work-life integration. So basically, you just have life, and then you have these kind of 24 slots in each day essentially an hour is a slot essentially how you fit things into that can be a bit jumbled up so for example i uh, have this kind of philosophy around slowing down to speed up so during the day i might have a walking one-to-one with a colleague i might do a spin class we actually have something called snap fit and we can get involved in some things there which is essentially taking maybe an hour 90 minutes out of my working day but obviously when i get back home i might be uh, then get back online and do some work because i feel like i have the energy to do that so i think it's less about on off it's just about trying to make it all fit together to the best that i possibly can So section two, Ed, is where we get to grips with your role, where we get to grips with Snapchat, with Mm. Snap in the UK. First of all, what's the scope of your role? What does it involve? Tell us what you do. Yeah, so um, I'm the general manager for the UK. And in very uh, straightforward terms, that means I'm responsible for the business performance of Snap in the UK. And our primary revenue is from advertising. Okay. So it's advertisers which are your domain. They're the most important part in the in the pie that is Snapchat in the UK. So I suppose other stakeholders in that relationship are content creators, uh, publishers, people like that. But it's advertisers that is your main focus? That is my main focus. They said if you kind of dissect the app, on the right-hand side we have uh, Discover. Yeah. And that's where we have professionally produced content from the likes of Sky News or Channel 4 advice taste made for example and obviously you have relationships with those guys as well and the teams that do that uh, the whole of the snap office though in, in london's about 150 people mm. um so sales and marketing is one of the one of the key functions we also have a team that looks after spectacles which we might go on and talk mm. about we have a team uh, computer engineering team and um, part of those specialize in what we call uh, landmark or real world ar and we might go on and talk about that as well i guess yeah so. okay and why is snapchat a different user experience to other social networks. 
So we're not a social network. Okay. And, and let me explain why. Snap is a place where people go to talk to their best friends. That is at the heart of Snap. And they go there and they feel safe to be able to communicate openly and freely. And that's at the heart of, of Snap, essentially. And I think that's a really point, uh, first important point to get across. Secondly, if you pause and think about some of the characteristics of other social platforms, so things like likes, comments and shares, for example, they don't exist on Snap. And then we also talked about the professionally produced content side of the app. Yeah. And we have that curated by human beings. And some of the other platforms are curated more like what your friends might like or how many people have shared it or commented or clicked. So kind of an algorithmic approach. And we're very different from that. OK, so explain that. The professional content. So everybody's read the story of The Economist or on Snapchat, yeah. right? So that's that's the cliche. But you're saying that that's curated in a different way on Snapchat. It's curated by what people I know are doing. And that will then inform my economist experience. Is that broadly it? Um, actually, let's take, let's take it back, back, back a step. Yeah. So if you look at other platforms, it's based on virality, yeah. essentially. Likes, comments, shares, who's clicking on it at most. And that right. will get service to the top. Yeah. Snap is different. That It's a closed platform. So not everyone can publish on that right-hand side. So okay. that's why it's professionally produced content. And some public figures like, say, Philip Schofield, for example. Okay. And what we try to service then is content we think you're going to be most interested in. That's not just based on what your friends have been liking or essentially or engaging with. It's what we think you might most be interested in. Okay. And as a result, it matters to users more, yes, less, in a different way. To, I suppose what I'm trying to get to is how important to your user base is the Snapchat app yep. on their phone? Um, so what we see is a really high engagement. So we reach over 70% of all 13, 24-year-olds in the UK, 60% uh, of 13 to 34-year-olds coming back to the platform on a regular basis each day. And the core uh, value proposition of Snap is be able to communicate with your best friends. That's at the heart of Snap. Got it. And that is the anchor behavior. That's the thing that everything else falls out from. So then dispel some myths for me, Ed, because... Forgive me speaking so bluntly. You hear that Instagram is running in and taking all of Snapchat's best features. You you hear things that that Snapchat is is failing. But but those figures that you quoted just there was it sixteen percent of all? What, what was the stat? You've got. I mean, it sounds it sounds like the 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 news of the death of Snapchat has been vastly overestimated. There's a gap between perception and reality. Right. So the reality is Snap has an addressable reach of yeah. around 16 million people every single month. Wow. That's, and that's 70 percent, 70 percent of 13 to 24 year olds, 60 percent of 13 to 34 year olds. That's incredible, isn't it? So, OK, so it's it's huge. It matters to its audience. Let's look at reputation then. Does Snapchat have an issue with brand safety, with with data, with GDPR, or or is this something Snapchat is way beyond and, and addressing on a daily basis? So Snap was built with privacy in mind. It's privacy by design. It's natural. So you're chatting with your friends. Your the message disappears after you've chatted. So that that sort of minimising the data footprint was at the heart of Snap because actually Snap was probably born out of the era of. Of, of the original kind of Facebook social profile. So I think that's a really important yep. thing. And on the right-hand side of the app, where um, advertising appears in Snap um, Stories, for example, and Snap Ads and commercials, that's in the 
um, professionally produced part of the content, essentially. Okay. Talk to me then. It's a young audience, isn't it? Mm. What part does that play in your thinking? What part does that play in the sort of brands that you're looking to get on board with the with the partnerships team in the UK? Yep. So we do work hand in hand with some of those brands that you would think are very obviously targeting Gen Z or millennials, Nike. Adidas, for example. But I think it's also worth highlighting, we do work with other brands that are maybe targeting slightly older demographics or slightly different types of people. So that could be anyone from, say, Just Eat, the food delivery business. That could be from, say, Public Health England, the um, UK government body that are trying to reach maybe some other different types of profile people as well. So we we do work with a wide range of advertisers and brands. Okay. And let's look at then the different way brands can work. I'm guessing there's a pre-roll ad kind of format. There are more immersive brand experiences using augmented reality. Mm. I'm, I'm guessing it's the full length and breadth of those opportunities. Yeah. So I think a couple of things stand out for me, which um, we hear advertisers get excited by. The first is the kind of original um, Snap ad, which was a Snap ad. Yeah. And why are advertisers excited about that? Because it was the first ad that was actually vertical. Mm. It was a vertical video. And I hear some stories from the sales team when they first went around the West End to the agencies saying vertical video is going to be a thing. It's like, no, it's not. It's the wrong shape. It should be oblong like the telly Mm. and if you fast forward three or four years now we're seeing advertisers really start to hone their craft and spend significant time thinking about what vertical video looks like yeah so that's and it's full screen with sound on so that's the the kind of first thing and then we have something that's called uh snap stories which are a series of snaps stitched together to kind of tell a more of a narrative arc and i think one of the reasons why advertisers really like these and it works is because you can see what the how people are communicating on the platform communication has changed how individuals communicate with one another it's more visual it uh, can be quite relatively fast paced and think about how brands can see some of those trends and communicate in the same way we think is really important okay and then of course we have augmented reality so the famous vomiting rainbow yeah. or the dog ears. Yeah. And what we hear from advertisers is it's actually a really exciting new creative canvas. And actually, if you think about where the internet come from, so back in my old Add to One days where we had uh, banners and MPUs, we tried to constrain in, in the creativity and put it into a box, essentially or different sized shape boxes. But that's what we did. AR and the camera then has opened up a much more freedom of expression. And brands are using it to tell really uh, much more emotional, much more engaging stories. Okay. And who's having success? I mean, you've mentioned Just Eat, you've mentioned Adidas, you've mentioned Nike. Have you you got an example of something that the team have delivered recently that you're incredibly proud of? So this one we are proud of because it's kind of born out of London in a parallel way. So it was um, Sony Pictures working for their release of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, which was kind of the big summer blockbuster. And essentially, Spider-Man's not in the US, he's touring Europe. And we used uh, our augmented reality. And the team based in London, mentioned specialised in landmark tech. Mm. Essentially, if you're outside uh, or around key uh, landmarks across the globe, that could be Buckingham Palace, Eiffel Tower, the Flatiron Building in New York, the Chinese Theatre in downtown Los Angeles. You pull out your phone and Spidey would appear. And in the London case, he would kind of swing through the windows of Buckingham Palace. So that, for me, is a great creativity. It's really exciting for the community when they're outside Buckingham Palace. But also because the tech was in London, I'm particularly proud of that one. Okay, yeah, it sounds a great example. 
Ed, one thing I think you've been brilliant at, particularly amongst the advertising and media community, is you've effectively told people to experiment with with Snapchat. You've, you've said that you cannot dismiss a, a, a product or an offering that you haven't had first-hand experience of, and I think that's absolutely to be applauded. Educate me then for something that I don't fully get. Snapchat, I understand as a product offering. I don't get how it's a spectacles company. Tell me what that means. Tell me for the educated of an to educate an ignoramus such as me, how come Snapchat is a spectacles company? Uh, James, you're being you're doing yourself a disservice. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> and as you might have seen uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we've announced version three yeah. of spectacles. And for your listeners that may be a bit more unfamiliar with Spectacles, Spectacles are essentially a, a hardware product that, uh, in, if you're imagining a pair of sunglasses, essentially. But on either side of your sunglasses, there is a 4K uh, recording camera. And I guess in the first instance, actually, you can then take a picture or a video without necessarily rustling around in your bag or inside your jacket pocket to pull out your phone. And it allows you to kind of capture the moment, uh, maybe share that with your friends, let people know what's going on in your life without kind of getting your phone out. Where I think uh, version three becomes more exciting because we've actually added a field of depth to that, essentially. So you can add in some, some of the digital world around you. And where I think we're heading with this is around the coming together of the digital world and the physical world into just one world. Okay. And the ability to layer over digital information into everything around us, we think is a really exciting prospect. And the Spectacles V3 are kind of steps towards that future. Wow. Okay. That sounds exciting. Sounds slightly science fiction, but it sounds desperately exciting. Um, a couple more questions in, in this section, if, if that's all right. You're here, TikTok or not, the, almost the rising star of social media in terms of a narrative seems to be TikTok. Do you see them as a competitor? Do you see them as something very different? Who are your competitors, would you say? As I said, I think because Snap is so different, yeah. they're all about communicating with your best friends. No one else is doing that. Mm. When I look at TikTok, TikTok to me looks like a really great content production engine. Yeah. Because actually, it's a whole bunch of people creating content and then surfacing that content and people are kind of engaging with it, be it kind of lip syncing and some video editing tools. And it feels like they have this model where they advertise quite heavily, win their advertisers, they stick around for a little, uh, sorry, win those users, they stick around for a little while, they probably monetize those users and they drift off and then they pay for them again. And that business model seems to be going gangbusters for them. But it's very, very different from Snap. Okay. So there are a number of different stakeholders in any relationship, Ed, when you're when you're talking about something like Snapchat. Um, you've got the users, you've got the advertisers. What about the content creators? Or why don't we use the word influencers? It's been a criticism in the past that Snapchat, Snap, you've, be, you've been slow to recognise the power of influencers. So I think this is a little bit of a perception reality gap because actually the, the reality is we do work with uh, what we call lens creators, independent lens creators, and they are playing with AR and producing some fantastic work. So at the heart of that, we have what we call Lens Studio. And Lens Studio is almost like Photoshop style, so desktop packages, software package, for anybody to play around with AR 
and to create lenses, essentially. And what we've seen off the back of that is we have a whole kind of bedroom cottage industry, but we've also seen some really exciting independent studios spring up and some businesses off the back of that. One right here in London, not too far from here in Farringdon, called Unit 9, who are creating some fantastic work on the platform, essentially. Okay, and this is lens creators can can be anybody from kids in bedrooms right the way up to fully-fledged creative shops, right? Yeah, exactly. One of our ambitions with Lens Studio was to just give the tools, democratise the process of AI into as many people as possible. If you are an agency, though, you can apply for a kind of an accreditation programme as well, and we support you in that. But essentially, the tools are open and free to anyone. What mistakes, whether it be in the time that you've been there or maybe predating you, Ed, what mistakes have Snap made? I think, you know, if I rewound to my, when I just arrived at Snap, it was the uh, much-talked-about redesign and obviously that hit the headlines at the time. Mm. And I do think, though, the fundamental principles, if you like, of separating out social and media. So social, the chat element, yeah. talking to your best friends on one side of the app. Media, content produced from uh, professional content producers on the right side of the app was the right thing to do. Maybe it's a step too quickly and too far and too fast. But clearly we've been kind of re-engineering that and thinking that through and we've arrived at a really good place. There's literally a very clear delineation between the left-hand side and the right-hand side. And now people are understanding what that means, I suppose. That that helps the future be be more clearer for, for everyone. Um, just one final question in terms of your domain, if you like, is is very much around the advertisers and the business development angle. There are, as I see it, kind of three different stakeholders. There's the users, the advertisers, and indeed the shareholders in mm. Snap. As when you're working for a public listed company that's that's looking to to monetize youth and youth audiences, are you constantly checking the share price? Can a business work like that? How's it work? <laughs> No, because okay. it's the share price. I think it's about believing in what we're trying to achieve. You know, and if you believe in what we're what we're trying to achieve, what is the mission of Snap? Believe in that. I only see the best days are still ahead of Snap, and contributing to those and building those feels the most exciting thing to be involved in. This series of podcasts is about talking to people that work in youth culture, youth advertising, youth marketing, and we're trying to get to the nub of the insights, some actionable insights and thinking of the individuals that we're talking to that, if you like, the audience of this podcast can apply to their daily lives. So, Ed, let's cut to your rocket fuel. Tell us one thing. What do you know about young audiences? Okay, so what I would really want to encourage your listeners is actually the best way to stand out with Generation Z and Millennials is by fitting in. Okay. And I think it's fair to say that uh, Gen Z or Generation Z, Z, Mm. or Millennials are probably the most politically, socially engaged of of a generation for a very long time. So they have this kind of like real kind of fire and determination. And I think if you combine that then with the fact that they've grown up with smartphones and they've grown up with the phone and the camera in the pocket and all the things that come from that, is they're actually communicating and expressing themselves very, very differently than from previous generations. And I think brands, advertisers, businesses that want to communicate with this group, with the young people, need to think about communicating in a language and in a method and in a manner that they understand and appreciate. So that's why what I mean by sort of 
by st- by you stand out by fitting in okay and by communicating using some of the things that you see on the platform to represent in in more uh in communications from brands okay in a world where we hear conversations about brand purpose more and more what do you think young audiences see as important i think they can really uh see through anything that isn't authentic and i think brand purpose is is a really important thing and i think unilever do this really well actually with all of their brands around sustainability and i think it's really important that it goes to the heart of the brand otherwise you'll be seen through very very quickly okay and what do you think ed has changed about young audiences and what will change next about how they behave firstly i think advertisers need to really take them seriously actually and snap- you think that's a problem do you you think advertisers are not always taking young audiences seriously I think I agree, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I think they're going to be the leads of their future. They're making decisions and choices around brand preference now, which are probably going to shape some of their purchasing habits as they grow older. So I think they're a really, really important audience. They're an audience that are going to be the largest in a generation as well, so bigger than kind of baby boomers. So I think they're really, really crucial. I think advertisers need to think really carefully about how they communicate with them. Okay. And any thought on the next change in in their behaviour? I suppose augmented reality, you've you've kind of invested in that by by working where you work, but that strikes me as something that's gonna change in the short to medium term. I kind of feel like saying the future's now, right. actually, that some of the power and, and some of the craft of the things you can do with the camera are absolutely fantastic. And I'd really want to uh, encourage more brands to do it. And I've seen a real shift in just the year that I've been at Snap, actually, of some really big household brands really starting to think much more deeply and more seriously about AR. Okay. And penultimate question, are there certain brands or certain organisations that get it right? And are there certain brands, certain organisations that get it wrong when talking to youth audiences? Um, as I mentioned, we do work with a whole cross-section of brands, advertisers, agency, creative. And we, I see some brilliant work from Public Health England. You know, they're a government body, but they do some fantastic work on a platform, especially around uh, sexual health for young people. We see some great work from the office of Nike and Adidas. We talked about Visa ran some stuff for the World Cup. So actually, it's more about, and this what I'd really ask your listeners to think about, think about the craft of the work. And I think if I rewound 10, 15 years in, in my career, maybe less than that, actually, advertisers, brands were like those forward thinking advertisers like, OK, we're going to invest 10, 15, 20 percent of our marketing investment into digital. And now what we're seeing are more forward thinking brands saying, actually, we're also going to think about not just a prescriptive investment number, but also around how we create work that's right for that individual platform. And I think when you do that, that, that work then really makes the platform sing. Okay. So finally, Ed, have you got one takeaway for everyone listening, one thing that our audience can go away and give some thought to? James, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to actually ask for two things the audience can take away with them. All right, two's fine. Oh, one's, one's too <laughs> tough, right? Uh, firstly, that giving back to those things that have been good to you, I think is a real, really important thing for me so yeah. I'd really encourage and I get a lot of value from that so I'd really encourage you listeners to think about what have, what's given them something and give back to that number one number two the future is now get an understanding of AR because those brands and advertisers that win in AR are actually going to win in the future yeah 
Final thing, where can people catch up with you if you want people to catch up with you? And where can people find out more about Snap? Well, the best place to catch up with me, of course, James, is on Snap, Ed Couchman one okay. to get in touch. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for doing this and thank you very much for your time. Not at all. Thank you for having me. What a great guest, eh? And we try to do these every week. We've been every week so far. I think we might have a week off for Christmas. But anyway, let's see. If there's anything that you would do differently with this podcast, if there are any questions you think our guests need to be being asked, do get in touch. You can find me at James Erskine on Twitter. But yeah, share the podcast. Give us a good rating. Thank you very much for listening. And um, do come back next week. This is a Rocket Audio production.